Welcome to Standard Chartered Money Insights, a podcast series by Standard Chartered Bank that brings you market views and insights on the go. Hello, everyone. My name is Zhong, and welcome to Through the Noise Podcast. U.S. government bonds' volatility persisted this week, with the move index of volatility indicators for U.S. Treasuries rising to its highest since July. The upward momentum of the U.S. government bond yields continued to be strong. 10-year bond yields broke above 5% on two occasions in the last one week. This raised a key debate as to whether U.S. bond yields have peaked amidst a still robust U.S. economy. And that is the theme of this month's global market outlook, which we have just published. To explore the nuances behind this, I'm joined by Manfred Gill, our Chief Investment Officer for Africa, Middle East, and Europe. Welcome, Manfred. Let's start with the most obvious question. The relentless rise in US bond yields has undoubtedly been a key market focus. Would you be a buyer of bonds here? Hi, Jong. Uh, pleasure to be on as always. Um, indeed, you're right that I think the relentless rise in bond yields and the question of whether yields could rise further has been one of the central debates in financial markets in recent weeks. Now, I think it helps to understand both sides of the argument here. Uh, if you bond bulls argue that today's yields, about 5% on the 10-year, uh, do already incorporate an extended pause by the Fed at the current policy rate and add a sizable real or net of inflation yield over and above that of about 2.5%, that's already approaching uh, the range highs of the pre-2008 cycle. Bond bears, on the other hand, argue that a path to a normalizing yield curve, where long maturity yields should be a little bit higher than short maturity yields, uh, could involve the 10-year yield actually rising a little bit further to above the Fed's current policy rate of 5.5% in a scenario where the Fed is able to remain on an extended pause and the US economy remains resilient. Now, in our foundation allocations, we side more so with the bond bulls. So to your question, yes, we would be buyer of bonds uh, at this point in time. And of course, in our in our foundation allocations, we maintain an overweight to develop market investment grade government bonds. And there are really three reasons behind that. First is that bond yields historically have tended to peak, not far from the peak of the Fed policy rate itself, which is a point which we believe has been reached. Second, of course, is that today's yields, as we just discussed, offer an opportunity to lock in uh, some of the highest real yields um, that you know since 2008. And third is that today's yields also offer a significant buffer against you know, the possibility that bond prices fall a little bit further. Um, and that buffer on a 12-month horizon is almost as high as 1% when you consider uh, the yield on a broader U.S. government bond benchmark index. So that's why we, we sort of are overweight. Could yields rise a little bit further in the short term? Yes, one can't fully rule that out because timing the precise peak in yields does feel a little bit like timing the precise bottom in an equity bear market. But in our view, a further significant rise does appear unlikely, um, not only for the reason to be discussed, but in the short term, some of the market positioning also looks quite one-sided. Um, if you look at you know the reading on our proprietary market diversity indicator, for example, uh, that does look like it, it's at a level that has often uh, preceded a reversal in the past. Well, as bond use has risen, equities has remained under pressure. So if bond yields indeed slow or reverses what, what, what we think, does a yield end rarely looks possible? Well, I think that that's a question we've been getting quite quite a 
quite a lot of. And uh, I think here a little bit of context can, can be useful. Now, uh, a lot of the argument around the possibility of a year-end rally comes from seasonality. Um, so, you know, the data can be quite illustrative. If you go back all the way to 1928, the, the S&P 500 monthly returns in September average about a negative 1.2%. Um, that's one of the worst months uh, usually through the year. But as you start to enter the fourth quarter, uh, that seasonality effect starts to improve and average monthly returns in November and December uh, usually have averaged about a positive 0.9% and a positive 1.3% respectively. Uh, so you can see where that argument for a year-end rally comes from. Of course, seasonality on its own is insufficient to improve a broader equity market outlook. But in our view, when you match that with our expectation of uh, bond deals that are likely approaching a cap and the fact that you know, we've got some positive earning surprises on the positive side and, of course, the likelihood that economic surprises could, could start to, to fall on the downside. Uh, we just think that, you know, a more range-bound outcome is likely. So from an asset allocation perspective, we prefer to stay with our core or neutral allocation of equities uh, within foundation allocations and instead take our, our, our preferred sort of bets uh, from a regional perspective. So maintaining overweights uh, to U.S. and Japanese equities. We think that's a better way to navigate the possibility of a year-end rally with you know, some of the downside risks that are still out there. Not, not just equities. EM assets has been under some pressure because of the higher U.S. bond yields as well. So does the recent China, China willingness to use fiscal policy point to an opportunity or, or, or would you actually look elsewhere in, in the EM space? Well, I think I, I'd agree that, you know, some of the reports that suggest Chinese policymakers are considering greater use of fiscal policy could ultimately uh, lead to measures of a quantum that, that help Chinese markets find a firm bottom. But the current equity market, market reaction suggests that we're not quite at that point just as yet. Um, and we do need to see more evidence of um, Chinese markets, both onshore and offshore, uh, you know, forming a, a more firm bottom. So uh, from an investment strategy perspective, I think one takeaway is that in equities, uh, we'd rather retain a core or neutral allocation to Asia-Japan equities more broadly within our global foundation allocations. And within that, of course, they broadly diversify diversified across major Asian markets. That includes Chinese and Indian equities, and indeed South Korea is also a sizable weight in that benchmark. And in the opportunistic allocations, uh, we'd rather use our sector preferences. So in China, that's of course communication services and consumer discretionary sectors. And in India, that's financials, industrials, and healthcare. That's of course on the equity side, but if you on your question on emerging markets more broadly, Actually, we think a more attractive opportunity sits in emerging market local currency bonds. Uh, we've written about this in a recent weekly market view, but there are actually three, three points here that we find quite interesting. First, of course, is that EM central banks arguably have a bit more room to ease policy if needed uh, compared to their developed market counterparts. Second is that you know the strong emerging market growth outlook, if anything, is a little bit more credit positive. And third is... Um, you know, these ultimately denominate to local currencies. So our expectation of weaker dollar should add a tailwind to returns, particularly now when, you know, the US dollar also faces a low market diversity score, uh, similar to what we discussed on treasuries. That again is usually an indicator of a reversal. Well, we can't end uh, the podcast without a short discussion on geopolitics. Another key focus for the markets recently, uh, given what is going on today, do you worry about a spike in oil prices? 
Yes, unfortunately, you know, in recent years, geopolitics has just become a bigger and bigger part of of investment conversations. Um, but what I would re-emphasize, though, is that as financial market investors, to us, what's important is to look at every geopolitical event and gauge where the channel or potential channel sits back to financial markets. Um, that can often separate uh, potentially market-moving events from events that just cause short-term volatility, but but then pass. Now. Today, in today's context, it's not surprising that a lot of that, that focus is on oil as a potential channel back to financial markets. And when you think about the Middle East conflict today, um, through the admittedly very narrow lens of oil prices, there are two scenarios that emerge, right? Now, in our base case scenario, uh, a conflict that remains geographically limited and, and does not impact oil supply channels is likely to ultimately have a fairly limited market impact. So, um, you know, the focus, of course, would most probably shift elsewhere, such as bond yields. However, there is a scenario where the conflict spreads to impact oil su supply in some form or shape. Uh, and that's the scenario where the upside risk to prices starts to rise. So it's not a base case scenario, but that's one where uh, some sort of hedge uh, can be sensible. And one we've often illustrated here, of course, is U.S. energy sector equities. We have a core holding view, but you know what's interesting here is the high correlation with oil prices. And of course, gold in the past has tended to offer a hedge, at least in the short term, um, against a rise in volatility on risk assets more broadly. Um, so those are two potential hedges to consider, even as in our base case, uh, we're not looking for a, a significant rise. Thanks for this very incisive discussion, Manfred. To wrap it all up, uh, firstly, I think we continue to side with the bond boost and, and maintain an overweight to develop markets investment-grade government bonds within our diversified allocation. On equities, we expect a range-bound outcome as the cap bond yields and positive earnings surprises tussle with the falling economic surprises. Within EN space, we believe in more attractive opportunities sits in the local currency bonds. And lastly, U.S. energy sector equities and gold offer attractive hedges against any potential regional escalation in the Middle East, though that's not our base case. That's all for this week's podcast. We strongly encourage you to check out our Global Market Outlook report. Have a wonderful weekend ahead. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Standard Chartered Money Insights, a podcast series by Standard Chartered Bank. For more details, Visit Market Views on the Go on our website or click the link in the description.